an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage this morning or this evening. It is not morning anymore, I can tell you that. Leviticus chapter 16. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 180. Leviticus chapter 16, there where we read about the Day of Atonement. And now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. 
He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place. And he has to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and offal are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. If you're found in your pre-Bible on page 1502. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached these words, and do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're looking at Belgic Confession, Article 25, in the back of your green Psalter hymnals, on page 81. Entitled, The Abolishing of the Ceremonial Law. Our confession, confession says that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that the ceremonies and symbols of the law cease at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished among Christians. Yet the truth and substance of them remains with us in Jesus Christ and whom they have their completion. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to regulate our life in all honorableness to the glory of God according to his will. 
And that's the teaching of our confession. This is a very important uh, topic of discussion because there's lots of confusion over um, these matters in our day and age as there has been down through the ages of, of the church. Um, in fact, um, one of the first controversies in the church was about these ceremonies and symbols. That's the words... that our confession uses. And the way that we should look at these ceremonies and symbols, particularly when it comes to the transition from the Old Testament to their reality found in Jesus Christ in the New Testament, um, I have heard explained like this, like a, a child's picture book. Um... When you're still learning how to read, these pictures help you uh, visualize what the words are saying, what the text is saying. And so uh, a child maybe wouldn't be able to understand um, if you're just reading out of a book that's only text. But if you've got pictures, then that helps him see, right? Helps him to understand. Well, this is like these ceremonies and symbols. They're a child's picture book. Um, and what comes after that as you learn and grow is um, full text. The um, graduation to, uh, from the Hobbit to the Lord of the Rings. That kind of transition. From Chronicles of Narnia to the Wheel of Time. So we're going to talk about how the ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ and is still useful to us today. Our theme tonight is, we are keepers of the Old Testament ceremonial law. By faith in Christ. I hope this other dry erase marker is better. We've got two points tonight. Fulfillment in Christ. And... Continued usefulness. So let's start with point number one, fulfillment in Christ. Um, I, I titled the sermon tonight, Sayonara Ceremonial, just because of the alliteration, which is an S and a C, but still, it works. Um, and the Article 25 in the Belgic Confession is actually called the abolishing 
of the ceremonial law. It's important that we understand what the confession is talking about when it says ceremonial law. Because when we talk about the law and the prophets, as our confession talks about tonight, what that is saying is the entire Old Testament. It's a, a short form for Old Testament, okay? When it says ceremonial law, the Belgian Confession says ceremonial law, these um, ceremonies and symbols, it's, underst- it's, it's saying that it, it expects that you know the distinction in the law of God that was made by theologians the time that this was written. And that is that there's moral law, there's ceremonial law, and there's civil law. The moral law is what you would think of when we think of the Ten Commandments. The civil law is what you would think of when you read the Old Testament and you hear about the way that the civilization of Israel would function. There would be these, um, uh, these laws that would help determine um, various things like uh, you should have a, a, a railing on your roof because otherwise somebody could fall off and die. The ceremonial law, though, is what you think of when you read something like the uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, um, when you hear about the, the tabernacle and, and the variety of sacrifices that went on in the tabernacle and the robes that they had to wear and the, the Urim and the Thummim and, and all those kinds of ceremonial, symbolic things, okay? So that's what it's talking about when it says ceremonial law. And what the confession is saying is that these ceremonial laws found their fulfillment in Christ. And here's why this has to be said. Do we keep the Passover anymore? Do we have priests that sacrifice um, lambs and animals? And do we um, have uh, a temple or a tabernacle? Ha! Trick question. Yes, we do have all these things, but just not the way Israel had. Christ is our Passover lamb. He is our high priest. His body is the temple. Tricked you. When Leviticus 16 talks about the Day of Atonement, and it goes into all this detail about how you're supposed to do this one time a year, this Day of Atonement, how you are supposed to um, make sure that the uh, sins of the people of Israel are forgiven, the thing that Aaron is supposed to wear, and the two goats, one's a scapegoat that it goes off into. Um, all these things are ceremonies and symbols that are pointing to their reality. In Christ. And that's why when Christ comes in Matthew chapter 5, this is why I don't like that they named this article the abolishing of the ceremonial law. Because none of God's law has been abolished. That's what Christ says. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. And then they named the article the abolishing of the ceremonial law. I've come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fill them full. 
as my professor, Reverend Vanderhart, always used to say, and still says, to fill them full. Jesus came and he said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What he's saying by that is that there is um, not an abolishing of these things like Yom Kippur and, and Passover and the priests and the robes that they were wearing in the temple. It's just that all of these ceremonies and these symbols, all of these children's pictures have now come into their fullness in Christ. They have come to completion. They have come to rest in their final meaning and their final form in Christ. So do we keep the Day of Atonement? Yes, because on that day that Christ died on the cross, our sins were atoned for. His sacrifice was once for all. His high priesthood is never-ending. It continues on. His is the blood that was put over us so that the angel of death would pass over. His body is our temple, is the temple. That's what the temple was always pointing to. That's what the tabernacle always meant. It's what the priesthood always meant. And so when you read in the Old Testament these ceremonies and these symbols in this category of the ceremonial law, when you read that God is saying through Moses, this is a lasting ordinance for you. This is a lasting ordinance for you. You are to do this forever. You have to understand that the scriptures are not lying because they, we no longer do these things as they did them in the Old Testament. But they have found their fulfillment in Christ. And I, and I want to make this really applicable for you, okay? So, um, one of the burning topics in our day is the issue of uh, sexuality. And particularly, homosexuality. And if you go to Leviticus 19... There is a passage in Leviticus 19 that says a man shall not lie with a man as he is lying with a woman. This is an abomination. And one of the quickest responses that people have to this has to do with not understanding the distinctions between the moral, the ceremonial, and the civil aspects of the law. They'll say, oh, okay, so you believe that part of the Old Testament, right? that says that that's wrong. But do you also not eat shellfish? And do you also not wear clothes that have two different kinds of material in them? Because those passages that say these things are right next to each other. Okay? And a lot of times this stumps Christians because it's like, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know how to communicate the difference there. Well, this is what I would tell you. 
the um, dietary laws of the Old Testament. I said, you should not eat from this. This is a clean animal. This is an unclean animal. The laws that seem so strange, like you cannot blend two types of fabric together and wear it. The laws that said you cannot eat shellfish. The laws that are like that were ceremonial laws communicating to the people of God. You are meant to be holy. You are meant to be separated. You are meant to be distinct and cut apart and cut us and, 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 and away from all the unholiness around you, okay? So you say, no, of course we don't um, uh, continue to not wear clothes with two different types of fabric in it. And of course, I love shrimp um, and pork. Thank God for pork. And uh, of course, you know, these things... Um, we don't do them like we did before because these things have found their fulfillment in Christ. Those are ceremonial aspects of the law. But what makes that different than the, uh, the, the, uh, the statement against homosexuality? Well, because the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. Issues when it comes to sexuality and the way that God has designed it are a part of the abiding moral law. And then you can also just end by saying this. If you're saying that we should just throw out that whole chapter where it says the homosexuality, you know the same chapter where it says a man shall not lie with a man as he lies with a woman also says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they like that one. So it's important that we understand what the ceremonial law is and how it finds its fulfillment in Christ. Because a lot of our issues today um, revolve around this kind of distinction and this kind of understanding. And if we grasp it, then we have an answer. If we grasp it, then we can tell them. Right? But the question continues then. If, um, if these aspects of the Old Testament law... What is going on? It's the board, isn't it? Um, uh, continued. Uh, what did I put? Continued usefulness. If these uh, ceremonial aspects of the law have been fulfilled in Christ... If we read, we believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law cease at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished among Christians. See, the way that I would wear that is um, we still do them, but in Christ, by faith in Christ, okay? Uh, the truth and substance of them remain with us in Jesus Christ in whom they have their completion. The question then is uh, what, what sort of usefulness do these aspects of the Old Testament have for us today? Well, the second part of Article 25 says, in the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel.
and to regulate our life in all honorableness. To the glory of God, according to his will. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about a situation in which um, a, a bad sexual thing was happening in the church of Corinth. And in that portion where Paul is telling them to call out this immoral brother, Paul says this about uh, the ceremonial law's fulfillment in Christ. Your boasting is not good. They were boasting that this sinful thing was happening and saying, hey, look, we have so much grace, we can boast that this is happening. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. And Paul's pulling from this Passover language. You were supposed to get all of the yeast out of the house for the Passover, right? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread, without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul's saying, let's keep the festival of the Passover in Christ. And instead of getting the yeast, which was the, the symbol and the ceremony, let's take the real thing that the yeast was pointing to, our sinfulness, our malice and our wickedness, right? And so that Passover in the Old Testament that talked about getting the yeast out of, um, out of the house and having unleavened bread, it confirms us in the doctrine of the gospel because it tells us that Christ came to remove sin from our life. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the Old Testament and warning, warnings from Israel's history. Paul says... I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. See, these things were all pointing to their fulfillment in Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And this is what Paul says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. And we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. These are all ways that Paul is taking the Old Testament scriptures and applying them to us who are in the gospel day and age. 
confirming us in the doctrine of the gospel, using it to regulate our life. Paul says, look what happened to the Israelites in the past. This is a warning to us not to be idolaters, not to be sexually immoral, not to be grumblers and complainers and whiners. And Paul also speaks of this in Romans chapter 15, the first four verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And this is where Paul makes the application. For everything that was written in the past, think Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So just because these child children's books pictures have come into reality in their fulfillment in Christ does not make these things useless now. Does not mean that we say, well, we don't need the Old Testament now. We've got the New Testament. That's what we like, the New Testament. We don't read the, the Old Testament anymore. It doesn't have any use for us because Christ has come. Well, you need the prelude. You need what comes before to give context, to give meaning to what comes after. You need those symbols and those ceremonies so that when Christ comes, we can say, he's the Passover lamb. He's the one who's taken the yeast of sin out of our lives. He is the high priest, the one who made the final day of atonement where there's no longer any more days of atonements needed. He's the one who's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. The Old Testament is filled with usefulness because whenever we look at the Old Testament, we're looking for those signs and those symbols that point to their fulfillment in Christ. And we're seeing that even in the Old Testament, God is preparing his people for the gospel, for the good news. He's giving the gospel in little snippets and little pictures and little moments He's showing us the Savior is coming, Christ is coming. And because Christ is the fulfillment of these ceremonial laws, we are keepers of the true meaning and purpose of those ceremonial laws, not because we still do circumcision, not because we don't eat pork, not because we turn our refrigerator off on Saturday, not because we do all of these things, but because we believe in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all these pictures and signs and symbols. He is the one who's filled full the Day of Atonement. He's the one who's filled full the Passover. And all the other special days and symbols and signs and priestly garments. Christ has come. And by faith in him, we are the ones who truly keep the Old Testament ceremonial law. 
Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. That Christ has come. That in him, all these symbols and these ceremonies find their true meaning and purpose. They pointed to him. They were fulfilled in him. And so we give thanks, Lord. We give thanks that in Christ, the truth and substance of the shadows and the ceremonial ceremonies and the symbols of the law remain with us. And we pray, Lord, that we would still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to regulate our life in all honorableness to your glory and according to your will. We pray, Lord, that we would always see in the Old Testament the pictures, the signs pointing to Christ and be amazed that we have been recipients of the gospel of grace that was preached all the way back on Genesis 3.15. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.